Story nine of the Thirteen Travelers by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story nine. Mister Nix. Mister Nix, the manager of Hortons, had never been an analyzer of the human character. It startled him, therefore, considerably, somewhere about March or April of nineteen nineteen, to find himself deep in introspection what is deep to one may not be deep to another and mr nix's introspection amounted to little more than that he felt as he found himself confiding to a friend one evening as though he were nothing more or less than a blooming juggler one of those fellows joe that toss eight or ten balls in the air at a time that's what i'm doing positively if you ask me said his friend what you're doing sam is thinking too much about yourself being morbidly introspective that's what you're being i should stop it that kind of thing grows no am i really said mr nix anxiously upon my word joe i believe you're right what mr nix meant however when he said that he felt like a trick juggler was literally true he not only felt like it he dreamt it this dream was recurrent he saw himself dressed in purple tights one foot on a rope the other in mid-air and tossing a dozen golden balls beneath him far far beneath him was the sawdust ring tiers of people rising to either side of it the balls glittered and winked and tumbled in the fierce electric light always they returned to him as though drawn towards his stomach by a magnet but always present with him was the desperate fear lest one should avoid and escape him the sweat stood in beads on his forehead the leg upon which everything depended began to tremble the balls seemed to develop a wild individuality of their own they winked at him they sniggered they danced and mocked and dazzled he missed one he missed two three the crowd beneath him began to shout he swerved he jolted he was over he was falling the balls swinging in laughing derision about him falling falling he was awake this dream came to him so often that he consulted a doctor the doctor consoled him telling him that everyone was having bad dreams just now that it was the natural reaction after the four years of stress and turmoil through which we have passed you yourself mr nix have had your troubles i don't doubt yes mr nix had lost his only son ah well that is quite enough to account for it don't eat a heavy meal at night sleep lightly covered plenty of fresh air this interview only confirmed mr nix in his already deep conviction that all doctors were humbugs the matter with me he said to himself is just this that i've got too much to do nineteen hundred and nineteen was a very difficult year for anyone engaged in such business as horton's that spontaneous hour or two of mirth and happiness on the morning of the armistice had its origin in the general human belief that the troubles of those nightmare years were over now at once as though the fairy firkin had waved her wand the world would be changed the world was changed but only because a new set of difficulties and problems had taken the place of the old ones and these new troubles were in many ways harder to fight that was a year of bafflement bewilderment disappointment suspicion quite rightly so but the justice of it could not be seen by the actors in it mr nix was making a brave fight of it just as throughout the war he had made a brave fight he was a little man with a buoyant temperament and no touch of morbidity 
his boy's death had shocked him as an incredible event but he had forbidden it to change the course of his life and it remained deep down unseen a wound that never healed and was never examined his embarrassments the balls with which he was forever a-juggling were in the main four first the directors in whose power the fate of horton's and several other service flats lay secondly horton's itself its servants its tenants the furniture its food its finances its marriages births and deaths thirdly his own private speculations his little private business enterprises his pals his games his vices and his ambitions fourth his wife nancy these four elements had all been complicated enough before the war it would take a man all his time he used to say to deal with the board nice enough men but peremptory in many ways not understanding and always in a hurry he had spent the best years of his life in persuading those men that horton's was the best service flat in london they did at length believe that they were satisfied but having brought them to such a height they must be maintained there the war brought discontent of course only the old men were active on the board and the old men had always been the trying ones to deal with the war as it dragged its weary coils along brought nerves and melodrama with it only mr nix it seemed in all the world was allowed to be neither nervous nor melodramatic he must never show anger nor disappointment nor a sense of injustice there were days he honestly confessed to nancy his wife when he longed to pull some of those old white beards but worse than those old men were the tenants of horton's themselves here was a golden ball of truly stupendous heaviness and eccentricity the things they had demanded the wild unnatural impossible things and the things that horton's itself demanded to horton's the war was as nothing it must be fed clothed cleaned just as it had always been you might shout to it about the prices the laziness of workmen the heaviness of taxation it did not care the spirit of horton's must be maintained it might as well not exist as be less than the fine creation it had always been as to the third of mr nix's elements his private life that had dwindled until it was scarcely visible he had no private life he did not want to have one now that his son who had been so deeply connected with it was gone everything that he had done he had done for his son that was his future he did not look to the future now but worked for the day and rather to his own surprise for horton's which had become a concrete figure gay debonair autocratic his personal life dropped he saw little of his friends never passed the doors of his club sat at home in the evenings reading first the times then the morning post then the daily news he liked to have an all-around view of the situation it was his sense of fair play in this way the third wheel of his life infringed upon and influenced the fourth his wife mrs nix whose maiden name had been nancy rolls was about forty years of age even mr nix was not quite sure how old she was it was her way to exclaim with her hearty cheerful laugh we're all getting on you know there was a time when to be thirty seemed to be as good as dead now that i'm over thirty she was round plump red-faced brown-haired with beseeching eyes and a little brown mole in the middle of her left cheek 
she dressed just a little too smartly with a little too much color mr nix himself attached to color did not notice this he liked to see her gay nancy's a real sport was his favorite exclamation about her he had married her when she was a baby seventeen years of age they had been great pals ever since sentiment had perhaps gone a little out of their relationship they were both deeply sentimental people but for some reason sentiment was the last thing that they evoked from one another the death of their boy lancelot should have brought them together emotionally but their attitude had been for so long that of an almost masculine good cheer and good humour that they bore their great sorrow individually they had forgotten the language of emotion mr nix in the deep recesses of his soul pondered over this he wanted now to get closer to nancy he was sure that she felt our lance's death quite desperately but after the shock of the first month she put on her bright clothes again and went about to the theatre and entertained her friends there's enough misery in the world without my trying to add to it she would say i know some people think it's bad of me to wear these clothes but it is what lance would have liked as they sat in their cosy little flat perched high on the top floor of horton's evening after evening mr nix with a paper mrs nix with a novel they were both perhaps conscious that the boy's death had made a barrier and as they lay side by side in their bed at night they were still more conscious of this the darkness seemed to strip from them that lively exterior life that they had developed mr nix would lie there and think about nancy for hours in the daytime indeed his hands were full the servants alone were problem enough for anybody first the men all went away to the war and he had to have women women for everything women for the kitchen women for the hall women valets and then just as he was getting used to them the men began to come back or rather he had to get new men men who must be taught their jobs and learn his rules and fall in with his ways fortunately he was blessed with a wonderful portress fanny fanny on whom after a time the whole great establishment seemed to hang but what did fanny do but become restless after the armistice fall a victim to a conscience which persuaded her that she was by remaining keeping a man out of his proper job and when he had persuaded her over that difficulty what should she do then but become engaged to one of the valets whom she presently married then the tenants of the flats were disturbed and agitated by the general unrest poor old mr j was so deeply agitated by the new world that he died of the shock of it and as though that were not enough old miss morganhurst went out of her mind and died in a fit it became more and more difficult to secure the right kind of tenants horton's had always been a very expensive place and only wealthy people could afford to live there but how strange now the people who had money a young man like the honourable clive torby representative of one of the finest families in england found suddenly that he had not a penny in the world and gaily took to house-painting while on the other side of the shield there were people like the boddingtons who simply did not know how to behave who wealthy though they were should never have been in horton's at all then again mr nix was most seriously disturbed by the strange new interchanging of the sexes that seemed to have sprung up in this post-war england 
positively he said to his wife one evening all the men seem to be turning into women and all the women into men he read an article in some paper that lamented the rapidity with which women were abandoning all the mysteries that had made them once so charming how thoroughly mr nix agreed with the writer of the article he read it through to mrs nix who was entirely in accord with every word of it the girls are nothing better than baggages she declared that's my belief horton's its dignity its traditions its morality was in danger i'll save it if i have to die for it nix declared as the weeks advanced his troubles extended one strike followed another coal food labor clothes all faltered died were revived again mr robsart the famous novelist his most eminent tenant awoke early one morning to find a pipe leaking his dining-room wallpaper a very beautiful and exclusive one developed bright pink and purple spots it was weeks before anything could be done mr robsart who had been led by an excited female public to believe his personality to be one upon which the sun never set said what he thought about this the balls faltered in the air their glittering surfaces menacing and threatening the tight-rope trembled the crowd roared like angry beasts this dream was ruining mr nix and through it all like a refrain that set rhythm and measure to the rest was the sense that he ought to do something for mrs nix that she was unhappy but would not tell him about her unhappiness that he should come closer to her and did not know how into this new troubled confusion of mr nix's life came a figure one day a young man who had known lancelot in france came to see them his name was harry harper he was little more than a boy was in the london joint city in midland bank and was as fresh and charming a lad as you would be likely to find anywhere mr nix liked him at once in the first place he had many new things to tell about lance and he told them in just the right way with sentiment but not too much with humour a little and with real appreciation of lance's bravery and his popularity with his men and his charm with everyone mrs nix sat there on her bright red sofa whilst young harper told his tale and her face was as red as the furniture the tears glittered in her eyes but they did not fall her plump hands were locked lightly in her lap she stared before her as though she were seeing straight through into the horrors of that terrible no-man's land where her boy had faced the best and the worst and made his choice he was always a good boy she said at last you will understand mr harper i'm sure from his very cradle he was good he never cried like other babies and made a fuss of course as he grew older he had a little of the devil in him as one might say i'm sure no mother would have it otherwise but oh he was a good boy there there mother said mr nix patting her soft shoulder i'm sure it's very good of you mr harper to come and tell us all this you can understand that we appreciate it young harper took it all the right way his tact was wonderful for a boy of his years mr nix who like most englishmen was a deep-dyed sentimentalist without knowing it loved the boy you come and see us whenever you like we're in most evenings you'll always be welcome harper availed himself of the invitation and came very often he was leading it seemed a lonely life 
his parents lived in newcastle and they had many children his lodgings were far away in pimlico and he had few friends in london before a month had passed he was occupying a little spare bedroom in the nick's quarters a very little bedroom but wonderful for him he declared being so marvellously in the centre of london you've given me a home he cried can't thank you enough you don't know what pimlico can be for a fella as the days passed mr nix was more and more delighted with the arrangement mrs nix had a way of going to bed early and mr nix and harry would sit up talking mr nix looked forward to those evenings he had he discovered been wanting someone with whom he might talk and clear his ideas a bit harry although he was so young had really thought very deeply mr nix whose thinking was rather of an amateur kind very quickly forgot the difference between their years harry and he talked as man to man if anything harry was perhaps the older of the two mr nix found that it helped him very much when harry talked he did not seem to be balancing so many balls in mid-air when harry was sharing his difficulties the boy had too a charm his air of asking mr nix advice as a man of the world that was what mr nix liked to be considered and he told harry many sensible things especially about women don't let them catch you was the burden of his opinion they are the devil for getting hold of a man before he knows where he is play with them but don't take them seriously until the right one comes along you'll know it as soon as she does so much wiser to wait but they're clever damned clever you're right sir said harry absolutely i remember a girl once he plunged into reminiscence finally however he declared that he didn't care very much about women he meant to lead a life apart from them he'd watched other fellows and he knew the mess they could get into especially married women ah married women repeated mr nix with a sigh there wasn't much that he didn't know about married women it was terrible the way that they were kicking over the traces these days really stopped at nothing why he remembered a married woman then harry remembered a married woman then mr nix remembered still another married woman this led quite naturally to certain disclosures about mrs nix mr nix had indeed reasons to be thankful there was a woman who was corrupted by none of these modern ideas she was no prude she knew her world but she believed in the good old rules one man for one woman it's been a bit lonely for her mr nix continued since lancelot went and it's a bit difficult to make her happy i'm so busy all day you see takes the whole of a man's time to run a place like this nowadays i can tell you be nice to her harry see as much of her as you can she likes you indeed i will said harry fervently you two are the first real friends i've ever had i'm grateful i can tell you now strangely enough the more mr nix thought of his wife the more seriously and earnestly he puzzled as to the right way to bring her close to him and make her happy the less he seemed to realize her there comes perhaps that moment in most married lives when the intimacy of years has thickened the personalities of man and wife so deeply with custom and habit that the real individualities can no longer be discerned something of the kind came now to mr nix the more he attempted to draw closer to nancy the more he realized that he was hearing a voice watching a physical form having physical contact but dealing with shadows 
he knew so precisely her every movement her laugh the way that she caught her breath when she was agitated the touch of her step on the carpet that she was no longer a person at all she was part of himself perhaps but a part of himself that he could not treat with his imagination he had not known before that he had an imagination the war had given it birth and now it was growing demanding food living thrusting experiencing leading its master into many queer places but neglecting altogether mrs nix he found himself as he sat in his little office downstairs positively trying to force himself to realize what his wife was like she had bright yellow hair a rosy face a plump figure she wore two rings one with a ruby stone another a pearl she was marvelously young for her age she then when with a start of surprise he realized what he was doing he wondered positively whether he were not going mad he buried himself more and more in the work of the place of the office fighting to keep everything straight and proper realizing although he was frightened to admit it that horton's was more vivid to him than anything or anybody else except harry thank god that boy's here he thought i don't know what we'd do without him that was a piece of luck for us he lay on his bed staring up into the dark ceiling he heard his wife's regular breathing at his side and he saw there in the living dusk above him the golden balls dancing rising and falling multiplying diminishing tumbling faster and faster and faster then with the month of june and july mr nix was given very little more time in which to speculate about life women and his wife everything in his business affairs became so complicated that his life extended into a real struggle for existence he had the sense that horton's which had hitherto shown him a kindly friendly face was suddenly hostile as though it said to him well i've stood your hanky-panky long enough i'll have no more of it i'm finished with your management of me strange how a building suddenly decides to fall to pieces horton's so decided every window every door every pipe every chimney misbehaved tenants appeared from all sides bitterly complaining servants rioted the discontent that was already flooding the world poured through the arteries of the building sweeping it deluging mr nix showed them the character that he had he took off his coat and set to work he was no longer the round ball-like little man with the cherubic countenance and the amiable smile he was stern autocratic unbending he argued persuaded advised he wrote to his own surprise a very stiff letter to the board of directors telling them that they must understand that times were difficult rome wasn't built in a day and that if they were dissatisfied with him they must find somebody else in his place to his amazement he received a very polite letter from the secretary of the board saying that the directors were thoroughly satisfied with him and had no complaints he went on during that month from struggle to struggle he forgot harry he puzzled no longer about mrs nix he was so tired when night came that he slept the sleep of a drugged man he no longer saw the dancing balls he was invigorated uplifted desperately excited he found in himself a capacity for organization that he had never suspected he discovered that it delighted him to meet and to conquer his servants he saw in their eyes and he was delighted to see it 
their own astonishment at this new character that he was developing he browbeat them told them to go showed them that they had better stay held them together and forced them to content they were afraid of him by jove they were afraid of him he looked at himself in the glass he blessed the crisis that had shown him in his true colours he contemplated the life of napoleon he went out and with his own right arm fetched in sulky and wage-demanding workmen he talked to them and found that there was a great deal to be said on their side he began to discover that strange truth that almost every one was discovering just at this time namely that when you read the papers or thought of your fellow human beings in the mass you hated and despised them but that if you talked to any individual man or woman you liked and understood them pride grew in his heart and happiness and contentment by the middle of july horton's was itself again the crisis was over prices were impossible labor rebellious the world topsy-turvy but horton's was at peace he sighed put back his shoulders patted his little stomach appreciatively loved all the world and once again considered mrs nix he would give her now all his time he would take her out make her presents they should have a splendid new life together he came back one evening after a successful meeting with the board opened his little hall door hung up his coat whistling to himself opened his drawing-room door saw mrs nix on the red sofa enveloped in the arms of harry who was kissing her ears her eyes her mouth he saw this and then he saw the neat little sitting-room sway and heave a bright blue vase holding yellow sprays of some dried flowers raced towards him across the mantelpiece and he stepped back putting his hand onto a chair behind him to avoid its contact the room steadied itself and he realized that he felt sick he put up his hand to his mouth then every sensation was swallowed up by a mad violent anger an anger that seemed to increase with every wild beat of his heart as though that heart were of its own purpose pounding him on to some desperate act behind his anger he saw the two faces nancy was sitting square on the sofa her hands spread out plunged deep into the red stuff of the sofa harry was standing his face white his eyes bewildered and defiant you might at least have locked the door mr nix said whispering his knees trembled so that he suddenly sat down and stared across at them why didn't you lock the door he repeated you knew i'd be coming back uh, look here harry began he stopped took a pull at himself straightened his back stood instinctively as though he were obeying orders i love your wife i've loved her for weeks of course it's all my fault she doesn't care for me in that way she's just lonely that's all lonely said mr nix yes lonely you don't know that you've been neglecting her all this time do you but you have and it's your own fault all this nothing's happened she'd never deceive you she's too good for that but it would be your own fault if she did not that i'm not a cad of course i am coming in and your being such a friend to me and then behaving like this i'm a cad all right but you're to blame too she's the only one who hasn't done any wrong where had mr nix heard all this before he'd seen it on the stage just like this exactly 
nevertheless his anger mounted he saw the room colored crimson he suddenly bounded from his chair and rushed at harry he tried to hit him in the face there was a most ludicrous struggle the two hot faces were suddenly close to one another then a chair fell with a crash and as though the noise made both men feel the absurdity of their situation they withdrew from one another and stood there glaring mr nix hated that he should be trembling as he was every part of him was shaking and he was so conscious of this that he wanted to escape and return only when he was calmer very well he said of course i know what to do i hope that i shall never see either of you again one moment it was his wife's voice and he turned round surprised that it should sound just as it had always sounded that was pathetic and there was an impulse in him that he instantly fiercely defeated to go to her and take her hand one moment she repeated i've got something to say to this she rose and stood her hands moving nervously against her dress her eyes staring straight into her husband's face it's quite right that i was kissing harry but it isn't right that i love him i don't love him a bit i don't love anybody i'm just sick of men i've been sick of them a long time it was just because i didn't feel harry was a man at all that i let him kiss me a dog or a baby would have done just as well i don't care what you do you can turn me out i want to be turned out i want to be free i want to be with women and work on my own and do sensible things and have my own life with no men in it no men in it anywhere i've been wanting this for years ever since the war started the world's just run for men and you think you're so important that you're everything but you're not not to a woman of my age who's been through it all and hasn't children what have i been sitting at home for waiting for you seeing after your food keeping you in good temper looking after you why should i i myself not half of you and harry too he was a nice boy at first but suddenly he wants me to love him to belong to him to follow him why should i a boy like that i want to be with other women women who understand me women who know how i feel women who have their own world and their own life and are independent of men altogether i wanted to go for months and now i'm going she moved towards the door the absurdity of what she had said kept him standing there in front of her she wanted only women oh of course that was only bluff put up to carry off a difficult situation people did not want their own sex a man for a woman a woman for a man that was the way the world went and it was right that it should be so nevertheless her words had had behind them a strange ring of conviction he stared at her in his round puzzled solid way he did not move from where he was and she could not reach the door without brushing against him so she also stayed another mood came to her oh i'm so sorry she said i've done very wrong to hurt you you've always done your very best but it was over you and i so long ago long long before lance was killed over he repeated yes over men never know unless it's worth some woman's while to tell them harry's voice broke in i'd better go i, I ought to i mustn't he murmured something more but they neither of them noticed him they were intent upon one another he left the room mr nix stared desolately about him i don't know what to do he repeated to himself i don't know what to do 
She sighed, as she might have done with a child who was trying her. "'We've both got to think it out,' she said. "'I'm glad now that it's happened. It ends all that falseness. I'll talk it over with you as long as you like.' She moved forward. He stood aside, and she left the room. He sat down on the red sofa and stayed there until late into the night, trying to puzzle out his position. Sometimes, in his distress, he spoke to himself aloud. "'That's what it is. The world's changed. Entirely changed. Women don't want men any more. But that's awful. They can't get on alone. Nancy can't get on alone. She thinks she can, but she can't. She gets taken in by the first silly boy that comes along. I believe she cares for Harry more than she said. She must. She wouldn't have let him kiss her.' And that was the first thing that he found in the voyage of mental discovery that he was now making, namely, that he couldn't be jealous of Harry if he tried. His anger had left him. There was nothing in that. He knew it absolutely. Nancy had spoken the truth when she had said that she didn't care for that boy any more than for a dog or a baby. No, he felt no jealousy, and now, oddly enough, no anger. But he did not know how he felt. He did not know what to do. Again he saw the golden balls tossing in the air above him, and there was she, alluring, glittering, tumbling, escaping. He thought, with a smile of contempt, of his conquest of Hortons. That was no achievement. But this, this new woman, this new Nancy, here was something. He slept that night on the sofa, taking off his coat and wrapping a rug around him. He slept the slumber of the dead next day they had only one talk together and that a very little one suddenly after breakfast she turned round upon him well she said what are you going to do i don't know he answered and then because he felt that she would despise him for being so indeterminate he went on it doesn't matter about harry i was only angry for a moment seeing you together like that i know that you don't care for him it was what you said afterwards about not caring for me any more did you mean that why no she answered i never said that of course i care for you how could it be otherwise after all these years but i don't want to give up my whole life to you any more i don't love you i haven't loved you for years i think lance took all the love i had after he was born and so i don't want to be always with you why should i be men when they are friends aren't always together i want to be free to do some of the things independent women are doing there are so many things women can do now. I see no reason for our staying always together. I don't want to stay with anyone always. Then you don't love me any more. No, of course I don't. And you don't love me. You know that. For ever so long now, you haven't felt anything about me at all. You pretended to because you thought it was right. But I've been a shadow to you. She was so right that he could only stare dumbly at her wisdom. "'You're not a shadow any longer,' he said. She laughed. "'That's only because we've just had a scene. I shall be a shadow again in a day or two.' They waited. At last he said, "'Well, you won't go at once, will you? Please promise me that. Stay until we've straightened everything out. Promise me.' She shook her head. "'No, I'll promise nothing any more. I should only break my promises. But I'll tell you before I'm going.' There began then for him the strangest time. 
slowly an entirely new woman stole into his life a woman whom he did not know at all a creation as strange and novel as though he had but now met her for the first time every evening when he returned to the flat it was with the expectation of finding her gone he questioned her about nothing she continued as she had done before to look after the flat and his clothes and his food he did not touch her he did not kiss her they sat in the evening in their little sitting-room reading they discussed the events of the day soon he realized that it was beginning to be a passionate determination with him that he must keep her he did not know how to set about it he found that he was beginning to woo her again to woo her as he had never wooed anybody before he did not let her see it he fancied that he was the last word intact one evening he brought her some roses he tried to speak casually about it his voice trembled one night he kissed her but very indifferently as though he were thinking of other things and how mysterious she was becoming to him not in the old way he could not believe that there had ever been a time when he had known her so well that he could not see her he saw her continually now through all his work through every moment of the day his heart beat when he thought of her he would wait for a moment outside the door in the evening his hands trembling with the thought that he might look inside and find her gone he never questioned her now as to where she went but he was forced to admit that she did not go out any more than she had done in the old days it was strange when you came to think of it that she had not followed up more completely her fine declaration of independence they went one evening to a theatre together they sat close to one another in the dark and he longed to take her hand but did not dare he felt like a boy again and she was surely young too younger than he had ever known her there were times when he fancied that after all she was quite contented with her domesticity but he did not dare to believe that if he once caught the golden ball and held it what would happen there came at last an evening when imprudence overcame him he caught her in his arms and kissed her kissed her as he had not done for years the first wonderful thing that he knew was that she responded responded with all the passion of their first days of courtship he heard her murmur poor old sam you poor blind silly old sam a moment later she was out of his arms and across the floor but don't imagine she cried that i'm sure that i'm going to stay i may be off at any moment this very night perhaps he was alone staring at the closed door the golden balls were still dancing. He wanted to follow her. He got up. He stopped. He had a moment of intense disappointment. Then, by Jove, I believe I'm glad. I don't want to be sure of her. I hope I'll never be sure of her again. And on that flash of self-realization, he began his new life. End of Story 9